Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Prepare is a time where we as a church intentionally seek after what God has for us by praying and fasting for three days. In addition to praying and fasting together, we'll also gather for three nights of worship, prayer, and encouraging messages from special guest speakers. Today we have Pastor Brett Fuller for night two of Prepare Fall 2020. Well, I want to thank you for the warm welcome. And it is, it is always good to be with you. I think this is my third time being with you. And I love your pastor. I really do. You are, you are a blessed people to be able to call him yours and his beautiful wife as well, Brandy, and beautiful family. They are not only excellent leaders, wonderful communicators, but they are excellent in terms of their family obligations being what they ought to be as an example, building a foundation in their homes so that they have something from which they can begin to present to you that has integrity and some real substance to it. You're really blessed, really, really blessed. And pastor asked me, as he said before, to come and speak, and we had that scheduled, gosh, six months out, and then something happened in my church. I was not able to leave, and uh, the Lord had, had this moment. And I, I want to welcome all the people who are online. If you're in your living room, if you're on a campus, if you're in a hotel, if you're at a site, bless you. Glad you're here. And those of you who are here, uh, if you're hungry, I applaud you. <laughs> I'm just so happy. I'm, I'm glad you're not eating. Uh, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of not eating. There are a lot of reasons for me to fast in Washington, D.C., not the least of which is my city. Um, but I do a lot of that, and I know the benefit that comes therefrom. I am mindful that God does things on the inside of people to position them better to hear from him and to do more for him as a result of fasting. It's not a hunger strike where we are twisting God's arm to do something, and if he doesn't, we won't eat. You'll go ahead and have a closer walk with him in a hurry if you do that. <laughs> About 40 days, you'll be gone. But this is a moment for us to say, Lord, food is, is like really important. I got to have it to live. But I want you to know I need you more than it right now. And I, I, I need your word. I need your direction. My family needs your direction. My child needs my business. And as we begin to do that, God begins to inspire us with better direction because our ears are more inclined to hear what he has to say. He changes us, and sometimes he changes circumstances that we can't address. So fasting does a lot of stuff if you do it right. You don't do it for selfish motives. You don't do it in order to get your own way. You don't do it in order to, to see some judgment come upon somebody else that you don't like. You do it to humble yourself before God, put yourself in a better position to be more like him. And the Lord does something really, really outstanding through it. So thank you, all of you who are hungry. And all of you who are not hungry and are here, I'm glad you're here. Uh, because you're coming out on a Tuesday night, which is not an expected church day. But you are here because you want to seek God in a special way. You want to apprehend what he has for your life. And you're doing it because you love your community. This isn't just about the church having a revival. It's about the community having an awakening. I know you've been taught really well the difference between the two. Revival is just a church coming to, to be what it should be, waking up to the reality of what Jesus called it to do and be. And awakening is when the community says, I had no idea I was supposed to serve him, and now my eyes are open. We're believing for both, and you're here because you love him so much that you're willing to sacrifice whatever you would do on your normal Tuesday to seek him for that benefit. And we desperately need it. I've taken a good four and a half minutes to explain stuff that you already know, so I'm going to get into my message now. <laughs> Turn with me over to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm, I'm really impressed that you are praying and fasting for not only your community, but for the fall, that God might prepare you for something here in the coming months. And I am convinced that though, though the natural landscape does not look like things are pressing toward progress. I'm convinced they are in the spirit, that there are things we cannot see that God is doing, and if we will continue to stay on the road, even though it looks a little murky, it's ambiguous, the, the clouds and the fog just don't give us all the proper signs that we need to know we're going in the right direction every moment of the day, but we know that we should not exit too early. 
We need to stay on this road because this is the last thing God told us to do before we're, we're, we're hearing anything else. We stay right here. If we do that, if we continue to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of God, we're going to come into an intersection later that allows us the privilege of saying, that's why I needed to stay on this road. Provision is going to be enormously wonderful. Terrific will it be for you. But if we stop, we exit too early, or we pull our car into a ditch, and we have to have the Holy Ghost tow truck pull us out, it's going to delay whatever God wanted to do and meeting us at the intersection of his provision. And I'm convinced that there's something really great on the other side that's going to allow him to be glorified through your life, through my life, and in our community as a result of this moment. Can't see it, but it's happening. And I'd like to speak to you on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. The title of the message is Daily Renewal, Daily Renewal. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, verse 17. For, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Lord, help us as we study your word. The apostle speaks about his difficulty no more so than in the book of, of, of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And he's, he doesn't talk about his difficulty in this book simply to say, woe is me. The only reason he's mentioning the tough times through which he has gone is to let the Corinthian church know that he is qualified to receive their support not financially, just to, to attach themselves to him because he birthed them. We read about it in the book of Acts. And the Corinthian church has pretty much offloaded his leadership. They jettisoned him a while back. They said, he's not very impressive. He doesn't speak with great eloquence. These other men came in with entourages and they could really use Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew and they could just make these words and sentences sound so marvelous. And Paul bragged about this. He said, I didn't come to you in, in, in demonstration of speech, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so throughout this book, in chapter 4, chapter 6, and chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about his difficulty. And I don't know a man that went through more stuff in such a short period of time. Paul's ministry was only about 27 years. We don't have it exactly, but someplace between 27 and 30 years. That's all the ministry time he had. Not because he expired too quickly of natural causes, it's because he was executed. And we know that of those 27 to 30 years, he spent probably one-tenth of it behind bars in prison. In 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about the difficulties in detail. And he said, I was, I was beaten without number. When you can't remember how many times you've been beaten? Wow! But he remembered the other things. He said, five times I received 39 lashes from the Romans. Five times. Now, I don't know if you know what kind of whipping that is. But the Romans would take this their version of a cat of nine tails. It was three lashes attached to one base and interwoven in the lashes would be bone and pottery and stones. And they would have a person bend over a pole, a kind of a, a resting spot and stretch out their arms so that their back was fully extended. They would stand on the side, not in the back, and they would take this whip and with as much strength and might as they possibly could, put it on somebody's back, let all those sharp things, the bone and pottery and stone, enter into the person's flesh, and then let it wrap around to the front, and then with all their might, pull. There would be chunks of flesh that would pop out. After that happened once, your back was one big scar. Very little natural flesh was there any longer. Paul said, five times, five times. Said he was a day and a night out in the sea, shipwrecked three times. He said, I was abandoned by brethren, hated by my enemies. He said, I've been naked 
I've, I've been in hunger. He talks about all these things. And you're thinking, you did all that in 27 years? And the three of it, you were in prison? What a life. When did you ever like go to McDonald's? When did you just have a normal Panera day? What, what was your life like? This is a man who had more difficulty, arguably, than any other person on the planet. And he said he was, listen to, listen to this statement. I know we read it, but he said, I was stoned. Do you know that there has never been anybody who was stoned that actually said afterwards, I was stoned? I'm just letting you know. That was the Jewish way of execution. Do you know any execution that didn't accomplish its goal? It was always mission accomplished. He was able to say, I was stoned. Well, well, what happened? <laughs> How did you get out of that? It's in the book of Acts. He was in Lystra preaching the gospel. And these people didn't like what he was saying. The Jews came out, and stoning was not taking little pebbles and throwing it at a person hoping it would hurt them. It was taking as big a boulder as you could pick up and crashing it on their head and then taking another one on top of that and crashing it on top of that until you had a heap of stones where a dead body lied underneath. It says that he was stoned and that the people who did the execution walked away and that the disciples actually took his body and were intending to bury him outside the city. In other words, they took the little mirror to the nose and it didn't fog up. Everybody thought this guy was dead because he probably was. And he, he got outside the city and as they were about to start digging a grave, it was one of these... Whoa, that was rough. <laughs> ah, oh, oh boy. Oh, I'm not feeling so good. And it says he went back into the city. Who does that? This was an unusual dude. And then on top of that, he doesn't even mention the time when he got stuck on Malta. He does say he was a day and night out on the sea, and this was the moment. He got stuck on Malta, and things happened, revival occurred. Because he was going out and picking up some sticks to, to build a fire, and a viper came out, bit him on the arm. And everybody in the, in the, on the island knew, oop, this dude, he was on a prison ship, and we know he must have committed murder or something, because mm, judgment came on him. This viper was one bite and you're dead. And everybody on the island knew it. And they were sitting there watching him, watching him, and looking at seeing when he's going to die. And it says, Paul, mm. Shook it off, put it in the fire, and all these guys were looking at him. And they went from saying, ooh, he's a horrible human being. He's a God! 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 That's what they said. Paul said, no, 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 let me tell you who I am. My point is, this man went through more difficulty than anybody should in their entire life, and this was just a 25 to 27-year span. And he was trying to say to the Corinthians, guys, I'm... I hate, to, I hate to brag about my accomplishments. Therefore, I'm going to brag about my weaknesses and my, my difficulties because I want you to know I've done all this for you. I did it for you. Those guys that are really eloquent, what have they sacrificed for your benefit? What have they done? Can they even compare to the laying down of their lives like I've laid down my life for you? And if you look in the prior verses, he says, we die daily so that you can live. Paul had experienced difficulty unparalleled. And then he uses negative superlatives in order to amplify what he's saying here in, in chapter 4 in earlier verses. He said, we've been afflicted in every way but not crushed. We've been perplexed, confused, but not in despair. We've been persecuted, but never left alone, never abandoned. And we've been struck down, but never, never destroyed. Always caring about the, the dying of the body of Jesus, that the life of Jesus might abide in you. It was all for you, church at Corinth, and everybody like you, for whom I've given my life. And it's a sad thing that the church has to be told this by their daddy. Their spiritual father who had nursed them from infancy now was thrown off because he didn't have the kind of prowess they considered to be credible. Sad is the letter that is written to the church at Corinth the second time. Sad. And yet Paul says this about his life. <laughs> 
when I speak about my difficulty, he says, I believe when I do so. Therefore, because I believe, I can speak. Now, I don't know if you've read this passage before, and I didn't have time to go through everything because I know we have a little bit of, little bit of moment tonight, but he says, even when I talk about my difficulty, I want you to know I'm not complaining. See, if I'm, I don't have Paul's character. If I went through all that, I complain all day long. And Lord, are, do you love me? Lord, do you care? I, are you kidding me? Uh, five times I got to go through this? Let me die this time, please. Just transport me to glory. I got to go through this one more time. Are you kidding? But Paul never complained. He reported. There's a difference. And when he reported, he said, when I speak, I do so in faith. And he began to quote a psalmist in Psalm 116 who said, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And, 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 and the psalmist was talking about the difficulties of his life, but he said, I always talk about it in the context of my faith. So when Paul says, indeed, I've been perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I've been afflicted unusually, but not crushed. We usually, when we talk to people about our difficulty, oh, woe is me. I'm so pressed down, I don't know. Just pray for me. Just pray for me. I, my, my life is so hard. I, I might just lose my employment. My husband wants to leave me. My wife, oh, it's just so hard. And I'm not trying to denigrate or diminish any of the difficulties through which we go. I'm just trying to let you know how you need to talk about it. Paul says, I believe when I talk about my difficulty. So when he talked about his tough times, he always inserted faith. Always. And so even though all of us go through difficulty, I have learned, disciplined myself, that when somebody comes to me, and I, maybe I'm just feeling a little, little peaky, a little under the weather, you know, just not as my noise. Pastor Brett, you don't just, are, are you okay? You look a little tired. He said, I tell him intentionally, I've learned how to say it, right? He said, yeah, I'm overcoming. I don't say I'm under the weather. I don't say I'm under the circumstances doing well. I want you to know I'm overcoming. Thank you for your prayers. I appreciate it. I believe when I talk. If you don't believe that God is going to bring you through stuff, maybe you ought not say none. I'm just saying. Why complain? Because it really, the complaining doesn't allow your faith to engage, to believe that your God is bigger than your present problem. And which brings us to this passage. He says, therefore, because I've been through difficulty and because I know how to talk about my difficulty, I want you to know, I never lose heart. There are two things in this passage about which I wish to speak. One, that which we need to retain. Two, that which we need to remember. He said, I do not lose heart. Some people lose stuff. I was very forgetful when I was young. My sister used to say, if you want to lose something, give it to Brett. I'd forget everything that my mother gave me. I'd forget my, where my textbooks were. I'd forget where my keys were to the car I'd, all the time. And I fixed a lot of that through memorizing scripture. I kind of made the synapses in my brain touch again. And, and so I'm not near as forgetful as I used to be. The, the Bible will heal a lot of stuff in your brain. If you start reading your Bible every day, Read your Bible every day. If you start reading it and memorizing it, you'd be surprised what will be fixed up here. Neuroscience has already said that you can actually make your brain cells grow. You can increase them. Neuroplasticity, it's called. But you have to exercise your mind in order to do it. If you just let it vegetate by watching your, your sixth version of, of Avengers, it's not going to grow as it should. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself because that's all I've done during COVID. Watch every superhero movie there is. <laughs> that's all I do. But my point is this. You get your mind thinking the way it should, and all of a sudden things begin to happen. And you can be a 60-year-old man like I'm approaching. I'll be 60 in four months. You can be 60 and have a 24-year-old brain. 
I'm also learning a language. I'm doing a lot of stuff in order to keep my brain healthy and strong. But memorizing this Bible, reading your Bible every day will help you. And it doesn't matter whether you get anything out of it that day that makes your soul just explode. The reason you're reading is not so you can feel better about your life. The reason you're reading is because he is worthy of your attention. Secondly, he's trying to build something in your life that is worthy of your attention on a regular basis because you are trying to construct something that goes beyond just your joy, just your emotions, something that you can live in later and everybody else can find shelter. Your life ought to be that which is an example. Someday people ought to need to come to you because they can't find anybody else. Can you help me with what it looks like to have a great marriage? Can you help me with how to establish a great business? The Bible talks about how to do those things better than any other book. The Bible gives answers to all of man's problems. And you may not be the expert at anything, but you can be wise about a lot of stuff. And if you read your Bible on a regular basis, you will begin to construct your life in such a way that not just wisdom flows through your life, but people begin to see the construction and say, I want to live how you live, not just listen to what you say. Read your Bible every day. Every day. People lose stuff. Paul says, I choose not to lose heart, even though it doesn't look good. In our society, we can't lose heart. Everybody's trying to figure out what, what's supposed to be the look of the church in the next year. How long are we going to be in this COVID situation? This is, this is probably one of the more difficult periods of our generation. And when I say our generation, I'm talking about all the generations that make up the generations that have lived as long, that have lived within the time period I've lived the last 60 years. Now, this does not compare in any way to what the early church went through. It's much more difficult for them. Or what the church is going through in China or in Vietnam. We, we got it really, listen, in China, all my, my friends there who were pastoring, they said, oh, we've been sheltering in place for the last 20 years. We haven't been able to go any place. We have to hide out all the time. This ain't nothing new for us. We're always in secret someplace trying to figure it out. Okay, we're sorry for complaining. The difficulty through which we're going doesn't compare to what has happened in the past, but it is nonetheless real and painful for us. It's inconvenient. And we still have to apply the same kind of faith that they do to their circumstances to ours. And we have to look at our life in such a way that, that, that Scripture allows us to develop hope and we don't lose heart. We actually believe that God is in the middle of this working things that we can't see. And as Paul talks about after this passage, he says, therefore, we don't look at things that are temporal, but we look at things that are eternal because the things that are temporal are subject to change. But the things that are eternal last. So we look at things differently. You've got to continually allow your perspective to be changed by the word of Almighty God so that you are not looking at what things are at, at the things that are happening in this world and those being the indicators of your reality. It doesn't mean that they don't inform your reality. It just means they aren't the basis of your reality. So when I look at something that doesn't look like it's going the way that God wants it to, it then allows me the privilege of understanding how I need to apply my faith now. I just don't accept that which I think is contrary to his will and say, ah, that's really bad. I'm sorry. Well, I'll go ahead and pray a little bit. I say, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. That informs me about how I need to conduct myself in, in, in terms of seeing the will of God done, even though I don't see it done in my natural eye. Paul says, I don't lose heart because I see something different. I realize it's been difficult for me, but I choose not to lose heart. You've got to retain your courage. This ought to be a time when the church is most passionate about preaching the gospel to its neighbors. Reaching out to people who are very insecure. I don't know when there's been a time where people have been more insecure, more fearful, more questioning reality. And we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken.
We live in a world where our God hadn't changed. He's still on the throne. And he is working his will even through the manipulative efforts that the world is trying to convey in order to try to write things. And they'll never be able to write it the right way. When they write it, there will be more problems that they create through their rightness. We'll have to fix stuff as a result of them trying to fix stuff the wrong way. But God is in the middle of this trying to figure out how in the world he can get us to be the kind of people we ought to be to fix the people who are broken. We ought to be using this as an opportunity to minister to the insecure, the fearful right now because we are the folks that have a foundation that cannot be shaken. This is the way we convey that we do not lose heart. We believe that there's a good end to this. That there's a purpose in our God for us in this. And he hasn't forsaken us. And we're going to wind up better in the end than we started in the beginning. We don't lose heart. Paul says it might be tough in my life. I get it. But never do I question whether God's got my good in mind. Not going to lose heart in this thing. Secondly, he says remember. And there are a couple of things we need to remember. One. We need to remember the things that are temporal, and two, we need to remember the things that are eternal. The things that are temporal, he says, are affliction and the flesh. He says our flesh, though it's decaying, though it's wasting away, though it's temporal in its orientation, I don't, I don't, I don't look at this as being the thing by which I need to either take encouragement or that which I need to be overly concerned about. He said, I'm not going to let affliction be the determiner of God's love for me either. Though I might be going through difficulty, you never hear Paul say, where are you, God? Though he's going through really tough times, you never hear him say, I've lost you. Now we do hear in the Psalms, the heart of people who are crying out, trying to find what reality looks like. And sometimes the Bible, let me say this so you don't mishear anything I'm saying. All the Bible is the word of God. All of it is true. But you have to determine what kind of truth you're listening to when you read. Like you don't want to get all of your good theology from the book of Ecclesiastes. You don't want to do that. Because the brother who wrote that book had a mind that was messed up. It was just all confused and jumbled up in his understanding of God. Now, it was the same guy, we believe, who wrote the book of Proverbs, Solomon. But you sit there because they're back to back. You sit there and you look at close. You look, there, you look at Proverbs, you say, boy, that's a lot of good stuff in there. <sighs> you quote the Proverbs, wisdom and understanding. Woo-hoo, that's fabulous. And, and the first four, uh, from, from chapter four through chapter nine, are all things that, that David said, even though Solomon wrote them. He starts with, Solomon does, things my father taught me in chapter four and goes all the way to, through chapter nine. Chapter 10 says the writings of Solomon. So we've got six chapters about what, you wonder why Solomon was so smart because he had David as a really good daddy. And you sit there and say, boy, this is one of the greatest books ever. This is fabulous. And then you look at Ecclesiastes and you say, wait a minute, same dude who wrote Proverbs wrote Ecclesiastes? What happened? Nothing matters. All is vanity. It's chasing after the wind. It'd be better if a man were never born. You scratch your head and you think, what is this? Well, it's true, but it's a different kind of truth. It's the truth of a man who has fallen away from God because the first 20 were good for Solomon. Last 20, not so good. And you can't just come back and put on the, the, the ecclesiastical garb and think, well, I'm returning now. When your mind has been so corrupted over a period of time and is no longer renewed, you can't just come back and start thinking that people are going to listen to you like they did when the Queen of Sheba decided she'd take a 2,000-mile journey and give you $10 billion just to get a, a counseling session with you. No, 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 no. You have to repent at deep levels and get rediscipled. And Solomon didn't do that. So we got the book of Ecclesiastes. That just makes you scratch your head. But it's a lesson. What happens when a person falls away? They get really confused. And so that entire book teaches a person, oh, this is what it looks like for a backslider to try to come home. You got to know what kind of truth you're listening to. What we have 
Here is the, the idea that Paul is trying to convey. Things that are temporal, things that are eternal. And the things that are temporal are the, the afflictions that come to our lives and the, the idea about what our flesh, our, 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 our natural life is supposed to be. And he says, our body is wasting away, but I'm not going to use that as a cue for how I need to posture myself for tomorrow because I know there's something else. And may I say that this fleshly existence in which we find ourselves has a lot of, a lot of twists and turns. Um, I live in an environment where reconciliation is an intentional thing on my part. I, uh, I, I happen to be the, the national director of a group called Every Nation. It's an association of churches. And <clears throat> I'm the North American director for Canada and for America. Um, most of the organization uh, is white. Most of the pastors are white. But they chose me to be the leader of the organization. And as far as I know, I'm the only black man who is a leader of a major denomination in America that is predominantly white. They chose me not because they wanted to do the token thing. They chose me because they thought I was the best man for the job. I don't know that they were right, but they think they were. <laughs> My point is this. I live in a reconciled environment. And I'm one who intentionally tries to make this temporal reality make sense through Scripture. I work it. And I represent the group of people that are the most offended. Generally, when the offended is offended, they're looking for the people who caused the offense to be the ones that come back and begin the process of reconciliation because you were at fault. But that's not so much how Jesus postures it. Not saying it shouldn't happen. But there's a higher way. He said, if you find out that your brother has a problem with you, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go to him. Then come back and worship. You may not have done anything wrong, but he's got a problem with you. <laughs> I'm not the one who did the wrong. The other person ought to come to me. Boy, I'm glad God didn't choose that strategy. Wait for us to come? He didn't wait. All you black folks out there, he didn't wait. He said, I'm coming to you. The most offended, the one who did nothing wrong, decided to come and make it right. Because I've chosen the pathway of reconciliation rather than just justice. It gives me the privilege of having relationships and a continuity that translates beyond the church to the world that then allows me the privilege of having significant and substantive input into sectors out there without bringing chapter and verse, but truth. Yes. Are you listening to me? Yes. And so I can begin to fix stuff that folk don't know how to fix at all simply because I've worked it for, the, for most of my adult relational life to where white folk now want me to be their pastor. I know I'm black, I get that, but my church doesn't look that way. I don't know how many thousands of people we are, but we're larger than we are small. And about 60, two-thirds of the people who come are African-American, but the rest are Latino, Asian, and white. And they all love calling me pastor. We've got a Latino pastor uh, who just brags that he's got a black pastor. All of his Latino friends, he's from Colombia. All of his, why is, why did you, who, why, what? They just don't understand it. And then a Korean guy, a guy who was born in Korea, immigrated here with his parents, pastoring our Korean church, then meets in our church. He's on our staff, calls me his pastor. He doesn't just call me his pastor, calls me his daddy. All of his Korean friends, they just say, that's weird. You have a black daddy? That's weird. That's weird. But they look at the relationship and then they all want it. I live in a reconciled environment because I've chosen to help produce it because I realize the only way I got reconciled 
is if he chose to come to me. And then my responsibility, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, was to become a minister of reconciliation because when you are reconciled, you automatically get the ministry of reconciliation. Although this fleshly existence, which is passing away, that's what Paul says here, it's passing away, it's going, it's, it's going to be destroyed, it still needs attention. Though I would love to just concentrate on the, on the sweet by and by. And in moments like this, I mean, sometimes my valleys last so long it feels like a Grand Canyon. I would love for Jesus to hurry up and come back and wind this thing up, please. I'm tired of living like this. But he doesn't. And so I've got to figure out how in the world to apply the temporary benefit to this fallen world. I've got to take the scriptures and begin to insert them into this ugly reality and produce something that cannot produ be produced otherwise. The supernatural from the natural. The amazing from the, 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 the horribly destitute. God wants to do something. You know that passage over in uh, Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy, it says that bodily discipline is of little benefit, but godly discipline is profitable for all things. Now the word, the word little there, when it talks about bodily discipline, is, is the Greek word that also means temporary. So if you, if you look at it like Paul, I think, was trying to convey it, he says bodily discipline is of temporary benefit, but godliness is, is profitable for all things, meaning here and there. Bodily discipline has no benefit when we get to glory. But it does have benefit now. Thus, I drink kombucha. One of the nastiest drinks mankind has ever created. It's not like Sprite or Coke or root beer. It's just very bubbly vinegar. It's just nasty. But I drink it because it's good for my gut. I exercise every day of my life. And it's not the kind of exercise where you can read a book. It's like I'm burning 600 calories within an hour, and, and it's, it's, it's pushing it. I do things because I need whatever temporary benefit bodily discipline can provide for me while I'm here, because I'm here. Though this temporal reality is falling, it's fallen and it's falling. We have to figure out how in the world to bring some reality that heaven looks like here. What did Jesus say regarding this world? Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? How? So we're supposed to be a mirror of what glory is. Just like it's done there, it's supposed to be done here. Mm, you got a long way to go. But that's the goal. And so I'm trying to figure out what about this temporal reality that is decaying and falling apart can I fix? And I've made it my aim. When I became a believer and realized that I was called to pastor or be in ministry back in 1982, I told God, I said, Lord, if you ever give me the privilege of pastoring, I want to pastor a church that looks like heaven, not like me. And there's some architecture that you've got to bring to the table in order to make that happen. It doesn't just happen because you get up and start talking. It happens because you are intentional about how you present yourself, how you present your song and worship, how you present your children's ministry, what you do for the community. There's some intentionality about that. And when you attract the people that are of different cultures, then you've got these cross currents that are underlying all the time in the church about people's expectations regarding their idea about how church ought to go. It is a hard way to build church because everybody's flesh is decaying. Everybody's flesh is showing the, the temporalness that Adam gave us and the, the, the sinfulness that, that it bends toward. And so everything about discipleship is channeling that around to kingdom progress. And when you've got people that think that you ought to have a choir that sways every Sunday, or you ought to be just somebody who stands at a podium and never gets loud at all, but just articulates beautifully and puts grammar and words together in such a way that it sounds melodic. Everybody has their own idea about how church ought to go. 
And we intentionally build with those ideas and don't compromise anybody's idea about what church ought to be, but we blend them in such a way that everybody feels like I'm sacrificing for the whole, even though I may not benefit near as much, at least the body becomes what it should be better. And we are able to present something that is not just reflective, meaning a whole bunch of black people and white people and Asian folk and Latino folk gather together, but we are able to present something that is effective. Reflective is just window dressing. Effective means that I can go to my Washington football team. That's what it's called now. That's what it's called. I can go to my Washington football team and say to people who listen to me, we got to do some stuff that fixes our, our perceived racist past. Because we are arguably the most racist team sport in history. We were the last ones to integrate. And that by force from the NFL. By force. 1964, they said, you better get somebody in here or we're going to take your franchise. The owner hated black people so much. He would stand at the opposing tunnel whenever a team came in, they had a black person, and shout epithets at the black man. Hated black people. <laughs> We've never had a black president in the organization. We never had a black coach. And as I was discussing with the brass, I said, we need, to, we need to probably make some changes. Something. Something needs to happen that's different. I began to show them what, what diversity looks like in my world, in the church. And without using chapter and verse, he said... We, we like the way you do what you do. And they just hired their first black president. You don't ever clap for Washington, do you? <laughs> I get it. I get it. You, I get it, you cowboys. I get it. I get it. But there ought to be a moment where you can separate your affiliation to, from kingdom. There ought to be a moment. There ought to be a moment. <laughs> and I'm proud of the way your pastor is working. I mean, he, he brought me in specifically at this time to at least touch on these issues. Now, I've got a lot of stuff I could say, and most of it I won't because I don't have time. But ethnic diversity is a huge thing. That's right. and, and white folks, let me help you, and I'm going to close with this because I, I, there's more stuff I could say, but I just don't have time. Whenever somebody has pain, it rarely uses the most proper exit to express itself. You would love for people who are in pain to say, um... I'm hurting right now, and it would be really nice if you could give me my space so I could hurt in such a way that it doesn't hurt you. Who says that? Anytime pain is, is evident, it's, ow! It doesn't choose the most proper exits. And the black community has been in pain for a long time. A long time. And I realize it's just coming to the fore, and most white folk are saying, I hadn't. What is it? Why? I thought we were equal. I, I'm working with a black person. We had a black president. My goodness, we have black CEOs. Isn't it all equal? Some people have broken through the ceiling that was cement, but for the most part, no. For the large most part, no. And black folk are just trying to figure it out and, and be a part of the system in a way that is unbiased, and I realize that there are all kinds of dispensations and feelings on this issue. I just want you to know that there is real pain out there. And I don't know what all the answers are. All I know is this, that me being kingdom and my orientation and, the, and the, the emphasis that I have in my life are giving me the privilege of giving answers to people that don't have any. When we build like this on the inside, though it's uncomfortable, though it's difficult, though it's hard, though we have to have conversations that don't make any of us happy. I don't want to talk about it, and you don't want to hear it. Though we need to have those conversations, they are important, though we don't want to have them, because it gives us some credibility. <laughs> we had a restaurant in Virginia that had some ethnic problems. A new owner came in, and he, he brought some of his people in. 
and, and, and demoted, though he kept them at the same salary, demoted to African-American women who were in the position and brought his people in because the organization wasn't, quote, run as well as it should have been, and he wanted his people in. Those two people who were African-American called the, NC, uh, the um, NAACP and said, racist. People came out and picketed the restaurant, stood in the drive-thru and wouldn't let cars run through. That restaurant called our church said, could you help us, please? Because we don't know what we're doing. We sent in a rep. Within 36 hours, he had brokered a beautiful peace without opening the Bible, simply because he lived in my world and knew what reconciliation looked like. The NAACP was happy. The community was happy. The restaurateur was happy. The girls got their position back. Everybody said, Why? Because I've discipled people who do what I do. Hear me. The church ought to have the answers to the problems in the world. And if we can't speak with with not just theology, but with some degree of experience, we lose our credibility. Our church has credibility. And businesses are regularly calling us saying, we heard you know how to do this thing. Please, my employees can't get along. Bring, bring, Bring somebody in. Whatever you tell us, we'll do. This is how I'm, how I'm trying to help this temporary world, even though it's fallen, even though it's falling, and even though it's, it's, it's decaying and, and running in the wrong direction. Our job is to address the issues the kingdom might be brought from this decaying environment. And I've gone six minutes over. Ah, I just feel so much pain about that, but I'm not going to stop. Okay, and then he says, there are two things that are eternal. This perpetual life, this thing on the inside, even though the body is wasting away, there's something on the inside that allows us the privilege of living beyond our temporal. And every day we're being renewed. Every day we're being renewed. This is the beauty about our God. He gives us a fresh 24. The last 24, forgiven under the blood if we did wrong, and if we did right, There's really no feather in our cap because he did everything we could have done because we tried it before and we proved we couldn't do right. And now whatever we do do right is him doing it through us. So he gives us a fresh 24 and says, let's start over again. And it's a clean slate. Every day we get renewed. I'm not saying we get born again all over again, but we do get a a brand new start. He says, "My, my inner man is being renewed day by day. And... I consider the weight of the glory that is proposed for me not even worthy of comparison with respect to those things that I'm talking about as difficulty. That there is such a weight. Now, when he says this, as I stop, when he says this about the stuff that was difficult, he says these are momentary light afflictions. Momentary light afflictions. All the stuff I mentioned to you through which Paul went don't seem momentary and very light. They, they seem extended and, and very heavy. But he says they're momentary and light, meaning that our difficulty, church, if there is anybody who ought to go through difficulty like they're not going through difficulty, it's the church. What he means is this. Eh, it's lasting for a minute, and it's easy to carry. It's not hard. Because I realize there is a weight that is coming. And that's going to be difficult to carry. If you feel like the stuff through which you're going is so difficult and so hard that you've endured and you deserve a feather in your cap, you're not going to wear the glory well. You won't. You'll think you deserved it. And you don't. Remember, the first stage at which we need to come is the cross. That's where we're supposed to die daily. And if that dying is our decision or somebody else's decision about us, however it comes, remember, the disciples didn't self-impale themselves. They didn't just get on a cross and say, I love you, Jesus. Let me prove it. Let me put this nail in my hand. Somebody did it to them. And so they were at the will of some other person, whether it's somebody else who's treating you bad or whether you've made your mistakes on your own. Whatever it is, God says this, those difficulties 
should not be those that you bear in such a way that they seem so heavy that when you finish, you think, I deserve credit for going through such hardness. Because there is a weight that comes as a result of doing things well. And that's the thing that we need to learn to carry well. And how do you carry the weight of glory? Very difficultly. That when people begin to praise you and talk about, wow, look at what you've been through. And look, how amazing what God has done for you. And you don't puff out your chest. And you don't, yeah, ain't it good? I deserve every bit of it. You sit there and say, I'm not worthy. Carrying glory weight is never intended to be done by men. We don't do it well. It's heavy. He said it's, that stuff over there that was hard is not even comparison with the eternal weight of the glory that's coming. And Paul never bragged about anything he did. He never talked about his accomplishments because he realized it's all God anyway. And when the glory comes, if you've carried the lightweight well, you'll realize when the heavy comes, I'm not worthy, you are Lord. And that puts you in a posture of worship on a regular basis. This is how we find renewal on a daily basis, is that we realize that there's something on the inside that cannot be measured by the things that are happening on the outside. And as a result, we live better and we live more right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace. Please inspire all of us to live the way we should. I pray for everyone on a campus and everyone who's listening at home and everyone who is finding themselves in a sight, Lord, everybody in this room, that you would give us the honor of serving you like Paul, to go through our difficulty well and to, to realize that there is a sight we need to have beyond that which we see with our natural eyes and that you are renewing something in us on a regular basis that identifies with you beyond that which we see in this natural. Have your way with this people. Bless Pastor Jeff and Brandy. Bless the entire staff. Bless the team who worships in song. Bless the children's ministry. Bless the youth ministry. Bless the young adult ministry. Bless the men and women's ministry. Pour out your grace on this house. And let this house be a house for the entire house that is called Dallas. Let it be one that reaches out beyond the walls. And let there be more people who are part of your kingdom that are in this house, that can fit in this house in a given week. Have your way with every person, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Prepare Fall 2020. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.